Now, at this time, I would like to invite our kids to come up here and have a seat for the children's sermon. This is something we've been doing during Advent to include the children a little bit more in our services. If you just have a seat like you have been right there on the steps, any kiddos? Don't have to be shy. I'm not going to do anything scary to you. Oh, come on down, Aiden and Kaylor. What's up, guys? Anybody else? All right, let me set up my tiny manger scene here for you guys to see. I've got baby Jesus. It's important. So, how is everybody doing? Peace. Peace? All right. Are you excited? What's coming up? What is going to happen? Christmas Eve is tomorrow. Christmas Day is the day after. Who can tell me? I want you to raise your hand. Don't just scream it out. What are we celebrating at Christmas? All right, sweater vest. Um, that, 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 that Jesus was born on, on Christmas Day. That's right. And um, that he was laid That's right. Very good. Now, who can tell me why is that a big deal? Why does that matter to us? Lucky. He died for our sins, okay, so it's a big deal because Jesus is the one that, that paid for our sins and forgives us of our sins. Is it, what, any other reason why this is a really good thing that, that Jesus was born? Anybody? Okay, Elias, you got an idea? Okay, very good. Okay, very good. Now, there's, there's a lot of reasons why it is very good for us that Jesus was born, okay? You hit the nail on the head. The, the big one is because he is our savior. He is our only hope uh, to be forgiven of all the bad stuff that we do so that we can be with God, okay? Now, I want to try to explain to you another reason why it's really good that Jesus was born, okay? So Jesus is the main character of Christmas. He's the big deal. But there's also another guy that we really enjoy talking about Christmas, who can tell me who that is? Yes, ma'am. Santa Claus. Okay. Now, I want you to imagine something with me. Okay? Can you imagine with me? You got good imaginations? All right. Do you guys like Santa Claus? Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Okay. Now, imagine that Santa Claus loves you so much that he didn't just want to give you a couple of presents once a year. He decided that he wants to know you and for you to know him too. Like the same way that you know your parents, your brothers. He wants a relationship with you. Can you imagine that? Santa Claus picks out you and says, I want to get to know that person. I want them to know me. Okay. Now imagine that Santa Claus is magical enough that in order to really get to know you and for you to get to know him, he actually transforms into a child who looks just like you guys and lives in your house with you, like your brother, your brother Santa, okay? So he looks just like one of you. Jesse, will you wear this to show what it would look like if Santa became a kid? It's huge. His hat wouldn't fit anymore. Okay, that looks pretty good. I need to see that part too. Okay. Now, can you imagine that? Santa Claus becoming like you to live among you because he loves you so much that he wants to get to know you and he wants you to get to know him, okay? That would be pretty amazing. 
Now, the reason that we did that whole imaginative thing there is because that's exactly what God did for us in Jesus. God is really, really good and really, really awesome and really, really magical. Now, he wants to give you good things. He gives us good things all the time. But more than that, he really wants to know you and he wants you to know him. So when the Bible says the word, which means Jesus, became flesh like skin and bones and dwelt, lived among us, it means that God transformed himself into one of us, became as our brother in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could see him and interact with him and know him. Isn't that amazing? I think that's pretty amazing. I mean, what would you prefer? Would you prefer your parents to give you a gift every once in a while, but otherwise you never see them? Or would you prefer your parents to get down the floor and play with you, take you places, be with you, love you? I think you'd prefer your parents to be with you and love you. That's what God did for us in Jesus, which is awesome. Way more awesome even than presents. I mean, can you even remember what presents you got two, three, four years ago? No, you can't even remember because after like a year, you forget about it. You need something new. But with God, he gave us the best gift you can imagine. He gave us himself. Well, I just told you what it is. You have a different idea? Okay, go for it. That's right. You perfectly summed up. What God wants is our love. And so he came as Jesus so that we could know him and how wonderful he is and love him. Okay? So that's what we celebrate at Christmas. I just want to pray for you that you will get to know God through Jesus. And then I have our last little gift, which is a baby Jesus in a manger. And I only have a couple of extra Josephs and Marys. So if you didn't get a Joseph and Mary, have your parents come talk to me after the service and I will give those to who I can. Okay? Okay, so let me pray for you. Actually, let me give you your stuff, and then I'll pray for you. No, let me pray for you, then I'll give you your stuff. Okay. Hand me those. Okay, we're going to pray. You ready? Set? Pray. Father, thank you for these children. Lord, thank you most of all that you love us so much that you came to be one of us so that we could know you. I pray for each of these kids that they would know you through Jesus and that they would uh, love you because you're worthy of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Well, right now you get a baby Jesus in a manger. For those of you who haven't been here, they got a Joseph and a Mary before, and this completes the manger set, but we've had more kids than I anticipated, so I really don't have many extras. Oh, I need money. All right. All right. Let's give them a round of applause. Good job, guys. You can go to Children's Church now. Thank you. You don't want it? Well, you can have it if you decide you want it. All right, while they're going to children's church, spoiler alert, that was basically my sermon as well. So now you know. So this is the Sunday before Christmas, and we have been working our way through the very first couple of verses in the book of John. If you want to find a Bible and and find John chapter 1. That's where we'll begin. So the first Sunday of Advent, if you'll remember, um, we tackled, let's see, the first three verses of John. Let me put this over here. So the first Sunday of Advent, we read the first three verses of John, which say, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, 
and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we spent that whole Sunday dissecting what exactly that this means about Jesus. And I told you that when he says the word, he's referring to Jesus, whom we're celebrating at Christmas. And I told you, I'll explain that to you later. And I didn't explain at all why John calls Jesus the word. Well, this is it. This Sunday is the Sunday where we're going to learn why John calls Jesus the word. Um, There's only, that I am aware of, two other places where the Bible specifically refers to Jesus as the word. Before I point those out to you, though, would you pray with me for God to help us understand his word, reveal himself to us this morning? Let's bow and pray together. Father, on this Sunday, the Sunday right before Christmas, would you please, in a special way, just bless us. Speak to us more clearly and deeper into our hearts. Um, Draw us up out of ourselves into your embrace, into fellowship with you in a special way because we love you and we want to experience closeness with you this Christmas. So may this time together, uh, sitting at your feet, listening to your word, be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's two other places where Jesus is referred to as the word. One is in just a couple of verses in uh, John chapter 1, verse 14. Meredith quoted this earlier. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, the other one is in the book of Revelation. When this same writer, the same author, John, is seeing a vision of when Jesus, the word, returns. So in the book of Revelation, in uh, chapter 19, verse 13, John writes, He, which is referring to Jesus in glory on a white horse, his robe drenched in blood of God's wrath. It's a very apocalyptic, very um, glorious, majestic scene. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. So the question we're going to tackle this morning that I think will help us to celebrate Christmas on a deeper level, why does John call Jesus the Word? Jesus has called many things. Why why does he say the Word? Why not the way became flesh and dwelt among us? Or the truth became flesh and dwelt among us? Or the life became flesh and dwelt among us? All of that would have been valid as well, right? I think it would have. I think John had a specific point that he was making by calling Jesus the Word. The Word translated the Word in the original language is logos or lagos. I never know how to pronounce the Greek. I really show my ignorance when I start talking Greek, but that's true. We'll call it logos. Okay, for the Jews, the Jewish audience to read this, they would have thought when they saw that word, Scripture. You know, God's words, what he spoke to us, they would have thought something that is said. The non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, like most of us, would have thought reason or logic. This is where we get our word logic. They would have thought like the meaning of life, like deep understanding. So the Jewish people would have read this word and thought, okay, Jesus is personifying God's spoken word to us. 
non-Jewish people would have thought, okay, Jesus is personifying um, the logic and the meaning and the understanding that God wants to convey to us. So all the commentators and preachers that I consulted before this sermon seem to agree that John means both. That in Jesus is summed up everything God wants to say to mankind and everything God wants mankind to understand is personified by Jesus Christ. Uh, One of the commentators, Raymond Brown, said, Jesus is the full, decisive, final, and perfect communication from God to man. Everything God wants to say to you is embodied in Jesus Christ. Everything that is most important for us to understand from God is embodied in Jesus Christ. He is the perfect communication from God to man. Now, I know how um, abstract this idea is. We're going to try to clarify it. We're going to work on it a little bit. But Christmas is the celebration of the arrival of this communication with a capital C. Like getting a really, really great package in the mail or the ultimate text message. I don't even do text messaging. So So Jesus is God's perfect communication to mankind. What in the world does that mean exactly for us? If you'll flip to Hebrews, we're going to jump out of John to the book of Hebrews. You should actually turn there so you can see. It's toward the back. Hebrews chapter 1 clarifies this idea quite a bit. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So God has spoken to mankind in many ways and many times throughout history through prophets. A prophet is a person that God chooses and uses as a spokesperson. So if I were a prophet, it would mean that God had set me aside and said, Matt Broadway, here is the message for you to tell Doolin's Grove. And as I tell you that, it's not just my words, it's God's words. So I am not a prophet. I'm a preacher, so I point you to God's word. But the, you know what I say is just what Matt Broadway says. You need to test it by scripture. But these guys that God spoke through in history, they were prophets. So God spoke his word through these men. If you look in your table of contents sometime, you don't have to do it right now. A lot of the Old Testament is prophets, is prophetic books. Like mine, the Old Testament is broken up in two columns. Right here begins the prophets. All that are books written by prophets. They're writing down what God told them to tell people. So in Jesus, he communicates in a different way, though. He used to communicate through men. He would pick men and use them to communicate his message. In Jesus, God became the man who is the message. 
So Jesus is not just a prophet, as some believe. The prophets carried a message. Jesus is the message. So I'm trying to think of an illustration to help make this clear, aside from the Santa Jesse illustration. I have two kids, as you know. I always use them in sermons. Elias and Lillian. I really want to teach them how to love. I want to teach them to love each other and people. Okay, and you do with your kids too. How can we teach our children to love people? I mean, they're naturally selfish. They, they want their stuff, you know, they, they are about themselves. How do I teach them? No, you, you know, love, share your toys, genuinely desire the good of other people above your own. I really only have two tools in my tool chest for this. I can, I can talk to them about it. I can instruct them verbally like I'm doing with you now, and I can exemplify it. I can try to love people. I can try to love them and Meredith and people and for them to see it in me. And that's about the best I can do. Talking to them, instructing them, and exemplifying it. See, what God did through Jesus is so much better than that. He incarnated it. Okay, that's a theological term you just are learning. What God did in Jesus would be like me, not just telling Elias and Lillian, here's how you love people, this is loving, this isn't loving, and not just me exemplifying it in my life, but me transforming into a child, their brother, and living it out with them as one of them. That's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. To really blow your mind, it would be like me transforming myself into a child, their brother, to live out the message of love as one of them while also still being their father so that, so that I could see and glory in all this at the same time. But we're not talking about the Trinity per se this morning, but God is way more glorious than we even have the ability to comprehend. So I wish that I had the power to incarnate the way God did in Jesus. You know, I also do the youth ministry here. Some of our youths are around. I wish that I could transform myself into one of them and live out and and do and show them what I'm wanting so desperately for them to understand. And you'll see a lot of youth pastors try to do this. You'll see a lot of middle-aged youth pastors dressing like 13-year-old boys. And that's what they're doing. The reason they're dressing that way, wearing clothes as though they're in middle school, is because they want to incarnate and be like their youth group that they want so desperately to teach them these important things. And they think, well, they'll, they'll see me as one of them, which I don't think it works that way. I think they see them as some weird old guy dressing like a young guy. So I don't even try to do that. But in Jesus, God didn't just tell us what he wanted us to know. He didn't just exemplify what he wanted us to know. He became what he wanted us to know as one of us. How magical and mysterious and glorious this is. But in my example about my kids or even the youth group, the example is I'm trying to teach my kids how to love people, how to do something. But that's not exactly what God is trying to communicate to us in Jesus. It's something bigger. What is God trying to communicate to us by becoming the word in flesh, Jesus? 
Well, Hebrews gives us, gives us a clue. In the first part of uh, verse 3, it says, He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So Jesus, doesn't, Jesus does not radiate God's glory. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. So it's as if God is this blazing fire and the light and heat coming from it is Jesus. Jesus is not just a replica of God's nature. He's not just really good at replicating it. God's nature is actually engraved, imprinted into human flesh in the person of Jesus. So that if you want to know God, know Jesus. If you want to understand God, understand Jesus. If you want to hear from God, hear Jesus. See, in the, by becoming, by the word becoming flesh and dwelling with us, God is communicating himself to us. He's not just communicating right and wrong, what he wants us to do and not do. He's communicating himself to us. So back to me becoming a, a little kid to be the brother of my children, it would be me doing that not to teach them how to love only, but it would be me doing that so that they could really know me and that I could really know him, uh, them. I'm confusing myself with this. Okay. Now I'm aware this is Christmas Sunday and this is all a lot of abstract theology. Awesome theology, but it's abstract. Um, there are some practical implications of all this. And I have three of them. There's, I'm sure there's more, okay? So if, if you've zoned out because you just don't want to hear Matt going on about theology, come back now because here we get practical. Implication number one, God really wants you to know him. Some of you may have this concept of God as being this distant figure who, who has a lot of expectations and demands of us and wants us to act and behave a certain way. Maybe our fathers were that way and we project that onto him, but that's not the way God is. God wants above all for us to know him, not just to behave and act in a certain way. I mean, what's the number one command? Love God. So the main thing he does want us to do is to really, really love him a lot. I know some of us did probably have fathers who mainly communicated to us in the form of expectations and disappointment. Some of you may have had dads like that. God the Father is not like that. God the Father became a man so that he could fulfill the expectations that we can't and forgive the disappointments so we could be his sons and daughters. He really, really wants you. He really, really wants you to know him and to be in relationship with him. That's a big part of why he incarnated in the first place, why he came. So implication number one, God really wants you to know him. Number two, I think this shows that the most important thing for us is to know God. Not to just know facts from God or to receive gifts and things from God, but to know God. I think some of us really want God to be like Santa Claus to drop down the chimney with a bag of what we need when we need it 
and then to magically just go on back to the North Pole. But that's not really what we need. We're designed for relationship with God. So that's as I told the kids, he gave us the best gift of all. He gave us himself. So Jesus as the word doesn't communicate, you know, tips on how to live, you know, nine tips on how to be at peace, uh, seven tips to, to be financially secure. He, he did not incarnate to-do lists or tips lists. He did not incarnate as a Santa Claus figure giving us things. He incarnated as the very glory of God himself. So, for example, let's say you are an anxious person, which I'll bet almost all of you would classify yourself at least to some degree as anxious. What does the Bible say to you in your anxiety? It says, no, God. In Philippians, you remember when we went through that, it, it says, you know, present your prayers. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray and look to God and, and his peace will guard your heart and mind. Get close to God. Know God. So God doesn't give us tips and advice for how to get out of these jams and anxieties or whatnot. He, he gives us himself. And that's what we need. So God really wants you to know him. What we really need is to know him. And the third practical implication of all this, Jesus is the only way to know him. There are, there's this idea out there that there are many paths to get to reach and connect with and know God. As though God is on the top of a mountain and we're all around the base and there's many ways that we can carve a path up to him. And they're all equally valid. So, you know, the Buddhists have their way, but they're reaching the same God. And the Hindus have their way, but they're reaching the same God. And uh, the um, New Age, you know, just vague spiritualists have their way, but they're all reaching the same God. And the Christians have their way, and they're, we're all going to the same God, right? Well, No. Not if the claims of Christianity are true. Because what Christianity claims is not that there's many ways to get to God. It's that there's one way, there's one path, and it was not cut from man toward God. It was cut from God toward man in the person of Jesus Christ. So what we celebrate as Christmas is God's arrival at the base of the mountain. Because none of us could figure out how to get up there. So Jesus is the only way to know God. He is... God's ultimate self-disclosure wrapped in flesh. God's communication of himself with skin and bones and muscle and fat and hair. You could touch him. You could hug him. You could see him. Jesus Christ. Now, in closing, I want to answer the question that some of you may have. Maybe you haven't thought of this, but if you think about it long enough, you probably will. What good does it do us that Jesus was here tangibly as the word in the flesh? Because he's not here tangibly as the word in the flesh now. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you haven't. Now I'm just giving you reasons to be confused. You know, it would have been great if we lived back then when he was here and we could see him and touch him and hug him. But, you know, he's not here in that physical way anymore. He ascended back to the right hand of the Father. So what does it really mean for us that he did do this? Because for us now, he's not tangible anymore like this is. 
It's a good question. So if you didn't think of it, you should have. Well, I, I wanted to address it in case anyone, any of you were. See, what we have, we have two things because he was the word in the flesh. We have the witness and the promise. We have the eyewitness accounts of people who really sat with him, really ate beside him, really heard his voice. And what, was, what did his voice sound like? He had vocal cords that produced a, a real sound that real ears intercepted. We have the eyewitness accounts of people who actually saw his face, saw what he looked like when he was tired, when he woke up in the morning, when, saw what he looked like when he smiled and laughed. That's who John is. John was his closest companion. So we have record of a real man. That's what we rely on. We don't just rely on, with Christianity, theories and ideas about God. We rely on people who saw him and interacted with him as a person in history. Which to me gives me a lot more concrete ground to stand on as a Christian. So we have the witness and we have the promise that he's coming back. And this is how I'd like to close. I want to read to you again that bit from Revelation where John calls him the word. Actually, instead of reading, I'm just going to kind of explain it. But it's Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Remember, this is a vision. So this is not literal recording of of an actual like historical event or future event. Literally, it's a vision. But here's what John saw, his vision of the end when Christ returns, when the word comes back. So the heavens open and reveal a white horse. And there's a man sitting on the white horse. John knows that this man is faithful and true. It's a capital F and a capital T. This man is is characterized by being faithful and true. He's a man of righteous judgment and war. This is a fierce man. His eyes look like a flame of fire. On his head, it looks like there's many crowns. There's mystery about this man. He has a name written, but nobody knows it but himself. He's dressed in a robe, and the robe is drenched in blood. And John knows that he is called, if you're going to speak to him, if you're going to call upon his name, he is called the Word of God, the ultimate self-disclosure of God to mankind. So behind the Word of God on his white horse and his blood-drenched robe are the armies of heaven, arrayed in pure white garments and mounted on white horses. And this man, the Word of God, opens his mouth and it seems like A sharp sword comes from it. And John, in this vision, understands that this sword is going to be his tool to strike down the nations and establish his rule as king of kings, lord of lords. This child that we celebrate, Jesus Christ, is the word incarnate. He was here. We have the eyewitness accounts of him. He was so amazing that he split history in half. He was so amazing that now, centuries later, he has millions of people worshiping him, including us. And Jesus Christ, the word, is coming back. 
And it's going to be majestic, and it's going to be glorious, and it's going to be fearsome. But he is coming back. So John called Jesus the Word because Jesus is the full, decisive, final, and perfect self-disclosure of God to mankind. If you just are wishing so bad that God would speak to you in your situation, you don't know what to do, you don't know why things are the way they are, you just don't understand, or you just feel so distant from him, you just wish God would speak to you. He speaks to you in Jesus Christ. God wants us to know him. What we need is to know him, and Jesus is the only way to know him. So, this Christmas, I just want to urge you, maybe reread the accounts of Jesus, thinking of him as the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature. Maybe it would give you a fresh lens to read about Jesus in the scripture. But I want to urge you to get to know God this Christmas by getting to know Jesus, the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much, wanting to know us and for us to know you so much that you came somehow and transformed yourself into one of us and embodied the message, everything you want us to know. Thank you for Jesus. It's too glorious for us. It's too majestic for our little brains to comprehend, but but we believe it and we rejoice in it and we celebrate it this Christmas. We just confess together that Jesus Christ is glorious and majestic and worthy of all worship in all ways, at all times, from all people. May he be glorified in our hearts, in our families, in our celebration this Christmas. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.